When was he welcomed? When was his tshuva accepted? When was he fully embraced by God? When he said, Ein hadavar talui elobi. It is only dependent on me. You are listening to the JP Show, where we discuss the issues you care about from a Jewish perspective. I am Rabbi G. I am Rabbi Levi. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Rabbi G. And this is my opening remarks. And today we're going to shift away from marriage, not because it's not an important topic. It's a very important topic, but we've covered it over the last few weeks. And today we're going to have a discussion about the time of year we're in, which is the month of Elul, the month of preparation to Rosh Hashanah. And there's so much to talk about, and we've spoken about it a lot in other forums and contexts, but I want to highlight one issue today, and that is personal responsibility. The month of Elul is a time of change, it's a time of improvement, it's a time to reflect on the year gone by. We are, we are taught and we reflect both on the good and the not so good, both our strengths and the weaknesses, both our successes and our failures. And we highlight the fact that we're human, that we do fail and make mistakes, and we try to, we try to improve. Now, there are so many things that inspire change, that inspire improvement, that inspire making amends. But here's one of them, and one of the things that stand in the way and block completely to really take responsibility for things that we may have done, whether it's between man and man, or between us and God, spiritual things, relationship things, whatever it might be, is not to blame others or anything. Judaism has two very important foundations. The one is that God acknowledges the fact that we're not perfect. He designed us to be imperfect. He designed us to sometimes fail. That's the way it is. That's part of the journey of life, to struggle through the ups and the downs, to overcome failure. So we do fail. God has no problem with us coming at the end of the year and admitting that we did make mistakes. He will welcome us back, even if we repeated the mistakes again and again. But He wants us to take responsibility, which is the other foundation. That's the foundation what we call the chirach of shit, free choice. We have a choice. It's a choice to acknowledge. It's a choice to change. It's a choice that we can grow. And we have to believe in that ability to actually grow by taking personal responsibility. And there's a huge amount on that topic, but let me share with you a beautiful insight. The Talmud tells us about a certain individual and I'm going to make it brief, there's a lot of detail in that story, but here's, it, here's the crux of it. The Talmud tells us about a certain person called Elazar ben Durdaya. Elazar ben Durdaya was a gangster, an immoral person, a person who had committed every transgression and immorality in the book. And the Talmud says that one time he traveled to a very far place, he paid a lot of money to have a relationship, an illicit relationship with someone. And in the, in the course of the whole process, she said something to him that triggered in him, this feeling that, you know, my life has just been empty, and I really need to make amends. So the Talmud says he went and he sat between the mountains, and he started to put his head on his knees, and he started to cry. And he said four things. Each of them did not work. He said, to the, he said mountains and valleys, seek mercy for me. And they refused. They rejected his, his request. Then he turned and he says, heaven and earth, bakshu alai rachamim, ask for mercy for me. And they didn't do it. Sun and moon asked for mercy. Same thing happened. Finally, stars and planets asked for mercy for me, and it still didn't work. And then he turned and he said, "En hadavar talui elobi." 
it's only dependent on me. And he started to cry with a deep yearning to come closer to God, with a deep yearning of remorse, regret, and resolve to become more connected. And the story ended, not like every story of improvement should end, but that one was different. It ended with him, his soul actually leaving his body. And the heavenly voice went up, went out and welcomed him, but used the title Rabbi Elizabeth Dazai. In other words, the power of Shiva, the, the power of remorse was so great that it was a transformation moment and he was welcomed into the world to come. And the commentaries asked the question, what's this turning to the mountains and the heaven and the sun and the moon? What does it all mean? And recently I saw an explanation which is fascinating. And here's the gist of it. We have various sources that tell us that mountains and valleys are a symbol of parents. Um, even the word for a mountain in Hebrew, Har, is like Horim, like parents. So he turned to the mountain, he says, the mountains and valleys are the patriarchs and the matriarchs and our parents, and he says, ask for mercy for me. In other words, what was embedded in that message was that it's not entirely my fault that I, I lived like this. It was the parenting. Maybe it's my parents, they didn't parent me correctly. Maybe they ignored me too much. Maybe they didn't bring me up with proper love and whatever. And they said, no, sorry, it's, it's not, it's, it's, that's not going to do it. So he turns and he says, heaven and earth ask for mercy. Heaven and earth is the environment. So often, I've heard from people that, you know, it's so hard to be spiritual in Sydney. It's Sydney's fault. It's a beach city. It's a, it's a very materialistic place and so on and so forth. The environment, it's not my fault. It's the environment. It didn't do it. So he turns to the sun and the moon. Sun and the moon, the commentaries explain, is responsible for how the agricultural goes, how things grow, how fruit and vegetables grow, and so on. So sun and moon is the symbol of our parnasa, sustenance. So people blame too much wealth, blame affluence on the way they are, or they blame poverty, either too much of good things or a lack of enough sustenance, all of that. So maybe it's, it's, it's the things that I had, maybe I was too spoiled, maybe I had too much, maybe I was too steeped in materialism, and that's why I am the way I am. And that didn't do it either. So finally he says, stars and planets. What are stars and planets? That's the symbol of our genes, of our personality. As the Talmud says, you know, we, have, we are born in different hours or different days of the week. It affects the way we're born under which star, under which planet. All that kind of stuff. Stars and planets is, is a, is expresses the concept of the way I'm wired. You know, people, <laughs> I was born to be angry. I was born to be jealous or whatever the case is. That didn't do it either. When was he welcomed? When was his tshuva accepted? When was he fully embraced by God, even though it was a, a, an intense moment, but only a very brief moment of reconnection, when he said, Ein hadavar talui elobi. It is only dependent on me. No parents are perfect. God tests us with wealth and poverty. Environment is a factor. Stars and, stars and planets, our personality is a factor. All these are true things and they do affect us. And in fact, the other way around, as parents, we should obviously parent carefully because we do affect our children. And, 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 and that's true with all the other things. That, however, fundamental to Jewish belief is that we're not bound by any of it. And therefore, if we failed, God just wants us to acknowledge that it's our responsibility. Maybe we can't fix the whole thing this year. Maybe we can just take one step forward. But when we acknowledge that it's our responsibility and we do whatever we can to improve, we are fully embraced. And that's such a fundamental ingredient to the whole process of going into the new year to, to think about what happened in the past year, to, re, to reflect and take responsibility and go into the new year with a couple of steps of growth 
and improvement. That's my opening message. Let's see how we can unpack this. Sarah Balevi, are you rested after the journey? Very much so. Um, it was an amazing event, over 130 people. Um, beautiful music, beautiful singing. Everyone had a great time. So yeah, very successful. Yeah, and I think it was very much connected with today's topic. I think people, I mean, people told me they were quite inspired. Maybe, hopefully, the inspiration will take them to, and take us, actually, to another level of growth for the new year. Absolutely. And in order to have growth, as you were saying, we need to take personal responsibility. So you were bringing one um, Torah example, that's that story from the Talmud. I was just thinking of a different example, um, a difference between the way you see the first Jewish king, his name was King Saul, how he reacted when told off, versus King David, when he rea- how he reacted when he was told off. Um, now, obviously, just to preface, we're talking about, especially when it comes to King David, when it comes to his sins, the Talmud tells us we don't really understand exactly what that means. And he was a very big tzaddik, he was very righteous, and that needs a separate podcast to explain uh, King David's But he did experience. something that on his but level... But at least on his level, something was missing there, uh, on some sort of spiritual level. And when King Saul failed to carry out the mission of, of destroying of, 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 of destroying Amalek, uh, he started making excuses and started giving explanations why he did that. And therefore, God took the kingship away from him. Unlike King David, when confronted with his quote-unquote failings, at least on his level, um, he said right away, Khatasi, I sinned, which is an amazing example. Um, until today, we, we pray King David's psalms and we go through his pain, his triumphs, because that was someone who was willing to take responsibility. Yeah, I think it goes to the heart of what we said, that we are human beings. And on whatever level we are, that we are human beings and we do make mistakes. Yeah. And all God wants us <clears throat> is to, like King, to follow King David's lead and to take responsibility. By the way, what you said also goes back to the very first sin in the Torah. That was also the problem. Right. When Adam and Eve, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the snake. That's right. Um, and the and we messed up since then. Correct. <laughs> That's correct. That's what I was a pure fail to take responsibility. Um, so there's a couple of interesting things I was thinking as you were talking. It's very interesting, and this is a theory which literally came to my mind as you were talking, so it's a little bit unbaked. Maybe you can help me develop it. It's very interesting, the society we live in today, that there's sort of almost two opposite things that go on at once here. On the one hand, there's a very, very big push to blame everything on someone else. We did a whole series on trauma, this idea, you know, I mean, and, and if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. Of course, trauma is real, and, and of course it has an effect on you. But nevertheless, every single thing you do, you, you blame it on your parents, your siblings, your friends, your this, your that on society, on, on, you know, these people don't like me, these people don't like me. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, so you would think that society is actually freeing people from responsibility. On the other hand, we live in an incredibly unforgiving society. Like this whole idea of, of cancel culture, you know, if you say the wrong thing once, that's it, you're, 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 you're done for life, you have to be taken off any forum. There's very little forgiveness in society, actually. Which is interesting how these two things go together. So I, I don't know what the answer is, but my, my very uh, sort of the first thoughts on this is that I think when you actually believe in personal responsibility, what ends up happening is you believe that a person can fail because they're personally responsible. But because of that, you also believe that the person has the ability to fix it because you actually believe in the person. So both believing in the fact that a person can fail and it's their fault and believing that you can forgive the person, if, if the, obviously we're talking about if the person takes responsibility, both actually stem from belief in the power of the person. Whereas the idea of saying that you can blame something everyone else and I don't forgive you at all, all stem from the fact that, that I don't believe in the individual. 
And that's my uh, no, I think that's, first thought. I, I think that's right. If I could take maybe just a step deeper. I think also, when you believe a person can change, also you first have to believe that a person is imperfect, right? That means you have to believe I'm imperfect. So, right. so this idea of blaming everyone else, right, means that we fail to believe that we are not perfect. And God designed us the way not to be perfect, right? Yeah. So why do we have to... And also goes a bit deeper than that, because why do I have to blame other people for my failings? Because I don't want to blame myself, because then I'm defined by those failings, yeah. you see? This is the problem, right? So the whole idea of Chuba is that actually I make mistakes, but I'm actually, and I take responsibility, responsibility for those mistakes, but those mistakes aren't me. Then somewhat defines me, what defines me is something much deeper, my intrinsic value, my intrinsic worth, right? So if I, ha- I don't have to be perfect on, on, an out, on an external level, because intrinsically I'm always, God always loves me, and there's an unconditional bond, and so on and so forth, but the externalities of me, my personalities, has flaws. We all have flaws, right? So if we're comfortable enough to accept responsibility, which means I'm comfortable enough to think I'm not perfect, then I'm also comfortable enough to think the other person is not perfect. They can make a mistake. And then it follows on what you said. Because they're not defined by the mistake, they can also fix it. Right, can also fix it. I'm not perfect, the other person's not perfect, but I can improve and that person can improve. And that's why we can be more tolerant of each other. And even if he says something I don't like or disagrees with me, first of all, who said I'm right and he's right, that's a whole other discussion, but, but even if you did make a mistake, there's redemption, there's there's tshuva, there's, there's, there's coming back, there's reconnecting, and so on. Yeah. How about, so, I mean, a, a lot of what we're talking about is based on a very fundamental Jewish belief that the Rambam talks about at length, the concept of free choice, right, that we have, under all circumstances, free choice to choose what to do, to do wrong, to do right, and therefore, if I do something wrong, I need to take responsibility. How about, or are there, any situations where there aren't, where there isn't actually free choice. Let me give you two examples, either from within or from without. So how about somebody who's uh, suffering from a severe mental illness, whether it be um, severe depression or anxiety or, or let's say, a, a, an addiction, things like that where it definitely seems to be compromising the person's free will, or, let's say, an external circumstance. So where I literally cannot do something. So, for example, I mean, the, the worst-case scenario, a person's in the Holocaust, the concentration camp, they couldn't keep the mitzvot, they, they just didn't have it, right? It wasn't there, they, were, they, were, they, they weren't allowed to do it, they, they, you know, they were all, throughout all the ages, Jews were persecuted and many times did not have the opportunity to quote-unquote do the right thing because they simply weren't able to. So how, how does free choice work in those circumstances? And I know those, are, those two things are very different. They're very different. Let's, let's look backwards. So I think um, there's a principle in the Talmud that when a person is in a situation where they cannot do something, externally they just prevent it. I mean, let's say a person, uh, like you say, in the, in the Holocaust, or a person is, is, is thrown into a jail, or whatever the case is, captured, kidnapped, whatever, God forbid, whatever the case is, and he doesn't have a shofar, he doesn't have to fill in, he doesn't have a mezuzah, right? So there's a principle in the Talmud, honest Rahmana Patre, that God absolves people from, all, from responsibility when they are in circumstances beyond their control, right? Right? Um, so that's, 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 that's very clear. Of course, even in such situations, we find stories of people making every effort possible to do mitzvot and to do the right thing and so on and so forth. But And also, perhaps also, free choice expressing itself not so much in doing the things, but for example, I mean, what, what, what comes to mind is Edith Eager's book, The Choice, like, which is called The Choice. Right. She said even she had a choice to choose to, do, to live a life afterwards. Right, well, to live a life afterwards. Free yourself from that. Uh, Victor Frankl, even when he was there, said they can take away my external freedoms, but they can't take away what's in my mind, and therefore right. he chose to be internally free and all that stuff. That, 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 that's all part of the choice. When you talk about mental illness, I think just a couple of clarifications need to be made. First of all, it depends what type of mental illness it is. So there is a 
a category in the Talmud that talks about people who are absolved of all responsibility and don't need to keep, they're not responsible to keep any part of the Torah, man or man, man or God, whatever the case is, right? And that's what we call a shoteh, which means someone who is, suffers from psychosis or is psychotic or actually is completely impaired beyond, like a small child, in other words, that they just don't have that level of responsibility, similar to a child. A child, we educate them to keep mitzvah, but actually they're not, they're right. they don't have responsibility because we don't say a child has proper free choice, right? All right. Where it's much more complicated, and I have discussed this concept with some leading psychologists, or also leading rabbis, um, about where free choice comes into someone who is depressed or has an addiction and so on and so forth. So there's always some element of free choice, but however, sometimes the free choice shifts, right? And just to simplify, because it's part of a very large discussion, but just to simplify the issue, there are things that people cannot fix without help. So, for example, I, I have a, if I just like chocolate, and maybe I need a bit more too much chocolate because, you know, it's unhealthy for me, that is my responsibility and it's totally my choice. When something like that spirals into a real addiction, addictions are a mental illness and therefore cannot always be fixed just by, you know, learning about free choice. Right. Uh, it needs therapy, it needs a 12-step program, it needs uh, trauma healing, whatever, yeah. whatever is necessary. There the free choice shifts a bit because the free choice is really the choice to get help. Mm. It's the choice to go and get help. So the choice to understand that no, whole help is there. And that you, now sometimes that's also difficult because sometimes when a person is very down to exercise their free choice is difficult, but so then sometimes it becomes a bit of a collective free choice. You know, people need to help, help those people. Yeah. But fundamentally the free choice is still there, like which comes with, as you said before, it comes with the belief that we can really change. In other words, the belief in hope, right? So I think the more we would educate people, and this is maybe how the education process has to work from a very, very young age. Not just that you have a choice, you have to take responsibility, package in a sort of a very harsh way. You have a choice is an amazing thing, which means... Empower people. It's, a, it's exactly, it's an empowerment. That's exactly the word, exactly. Yeah. We're empowering ourselves, we're empowering people that you have a choice, meaning that it doesn't matter what you've done. You look at last, you know, some people are scared of Elul because you look at the last year, ah, oh, you know, I messed up so badly in this past year and I did the same mistakes I did four years ago and five years ago and ten years ago. It's an empowering thing to know that you have free choice, that you're responsible, which means you can, there is help there. And if the responsibility means to get other people to help you, or to get a therapist to help you, or to get a program to help you, that's the choice. So you can do it because you have infinite strength that we don't often give ourselves credit for. And that's part of responsibility. It's a real empowering message. Hmm. So you mentioned that, that children don't have real free choice. That's just it's an interesting idea that you've brought up. Like, but we do punish children. So is, is that like, because we're trying to develop, is, is free choice something you develop? Or like is something you need to like in, ingrain in people? Or is it like... Yes, when I say they don't have free choice, I think it, we're talking about proper responsibility. They can't make decisions properly, right? Right. Um, the reason that we don't let a child drive a car is because they can't make proper right. decisions, right? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and things like that. So, it's, so you can't hold a person responsibility for consistent, responsible behavior. I mean, even the Talmud says that, you know, one of, the, one of the things that's difficult with a child, for example, that a child who goes and damages someone else's property, there's no, I don't know how it works in secular law, but actually in Jewish law it's a problem because there's no real person to hold responsible. Mm. Um, I mean, there's some moral responsibility on a parent maybe, but actually it's not direct responsibility. And, 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 uh, and the Talmud talks about that. It's a, it's a real problem, right? Um, like it's, you know, you, it's like tough, tough luck kind of thing if a right. child broke your window. Now, if the parents are half decent, they'll, they'll pay for it and so on. That's a moral thing. But technically, legally, um, they're, they're our responsibility. Now, 
our job is to educate them to have responsibility, and that's why we do apply consequences, because we want to train them that no, this is a bad behavior, this is a good behavior, and they do learn after a while, become adults. I mean, if we don't train them, then they'll become adults. They're not going to suddenly wake up one morning right. and know what to take responsibility for. So, right, so we train them, but it's a training more than a, a real responsibility. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Very good. Any questions, contact us. Excellent. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you for listening to The JP Show. For questions, comments, and feedback, please email rabbig at bina, B-I-N-A, dot com, dot A-U. See you next time.